Well, hello and welcome to Waypoint Church online. As you can tell, still, we're still not meeting face-to-face, um, but we will keep you uh, posted about that. Obviously, we all miss each other. We want to be doing that, but um, we feel like this is the right thing to keep doing at the moment. We'll keep you up to speed on that, though. Uh, my name's Jim, one of the leaders uh, here at Waypoint Church. I'm really excited that you joined us. You might be brand new. If you are, then please check out our website. We'd love to connect in with you and uh, hook up, uh, hook you into perhaps a smaller community here at the church. Um, if you're not new, we love you just the same and you're just as welcome as anyone else. So thanks for tuning in and engaging with us in this particular way. Um, so yes, we are, we are into our second week of this brand new series, Unashamed, which we'll, I'll unpack a bit later with you. Uh, and uh, really excited about what God's going to do through today's time together as well. But let's just um, focus our minds and our hearts as we spend a bit of time about to go into a time of worship together. And uh, let's just give this, this next 45 minutes, hour, completely, you know, over to Jesus. No matter whatever's going on right now, perhaps you are sat with kids shouting in the background, trying to eat breakfast, I don't know, whatever it might be, on a bus, in the garden. You know, it's still good and it's still great to be open to what the Spirit wants to do. So let's just pray and then uh, spend some time worshipping. Hi, I'm sure you would agree with me that our nation needs prayer. Can you imagine the power that would be released if thousands of God's people got together on the same day to humble themselves before God and pray. We want to invite you to do just that. An invitation has gone out across our nation to pray for one hour on Friday 22nd of January from midnight until eight in the morning. We're encouraging you to just to pray in your own home, in your own time. But from eight o'clock that morning through to midnight, we're having a live Zoom prayer meeting. An invitation will be sent out to you from the office, but we want to encourage you to join us at some point on that day. Pick an hour that you can join us to pray for our nation. So that's Friday, 22nd of January, 8 a.m. in the morning till midnight. We look forward to seeing you sometime there. God bless you. So we're on to uh, week two of our brand new series, Unashamed, and uh, really buzzed about this, really excited about it. I know many of you are as well. Uh, we are looking at the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And uh, we kicked off last week, Keith kicked it off with a great overview and a, I guess, synopsis, um, an understanding of some of the key concepts and titles that we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks. If you've missed it, uh, please check it out on iTunes or Spotify or, or YouTube, however it is you like to engage with the ministry here at Waypoint. It's, uh, it was a great overview and has really set us off on the, the direction in which we're going as we are pursuing Jesus, as we want to become um, better disciples of Jesus Christ as well. Um, so yeah, it's my turn this week and it's a bit unusual. I'm just going to be kind of speaking about one particular word, uh, which we'll come on to a bit later. Uh, but I guess I want to start with a question for you, for you all, which is this, how would you describe yourself? So if you were writing to someone or texting to someone you've never met, they'd never seen you, they didn't know you particularly well, how would you describe yourself to them? Now, I appreciate this is recorded, so I can't really hear what you're thinking or saying, but I'll just kind of, I guess, fill in the blanks. For me, if I'd known they'd never seen me before, I probably would say, you know, I'm Jim, six foot three, give or take, seven or eight inches or so. Uh, now, I'd probably say I'm married, have two kids, uh, I love football. You might go with, I don't know, 
your education, your profile, your qualifications, your job status, your relationship status, um, your family status, I don't know. But how the words we use to describe ourselves usually give a, an understanding to those that are listening as to what's most important to us. They're quite a key part of our identity. Let's push this forward a little bit more. What is it? If you were to describe yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, what words would you bolt onto that? You know, if, if you were trying to describe to someone what it, kind of your identity as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I guess you might use a believer, a witness, um, an heir, a joint heir, a sheep, uh, a disciple, a student. Uh, for those of you that were, remember the band DC Talk, you might call yourself a Jesus freak, what a reference that is. A child of God, a daughter, a son, um, or perhaps you would call yourself a Christian. How would you describe yourself to someone? Uh, it's, I think and it's really interesting because when you read this opening gambit by Paul uh, in this first verse, really, in Romans 1, which is really what I'm going to be looking at today, um, it is that you know he could have he could have introduced himself as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a tent maker, as a Jew, as a really well-educated person. You know, modern day would be like an influencer, I suppose. But he didn't. He didn't. He used one word that kind of went above all those other words. Uh, and those of you who got your your Bibles open, uh, Romans one, uh, verse one is that you'll know that it is the word servant. It's the word servant. Would you describe yourself? how Paul described himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Um, I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe that's already a challenge. But I think, you know, as we unpack this word, that's all we're doing today, it's a bit unusual for me, um, rather than a passage, we're just unpacking that word. As we unpack that word, servant, we begin to develop a much deeper understanding of our identity in Christ Jesus. I think it will drastically transform um, not just our relationship with Jesus, but also our purpose as a Jesus follower as well. I think your purpose and God's plan are uniquely tied up in understanding our identity and making that um, the core of who we are, our identity in Christ Jesus. Your purpose, God's plan, is uniquely tied up in understanding your identity. Um, specifically, as Paul says, he is a servant. What does that mean for us as well? Now, a servant, it conjures up all sorts of imagery, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, my wife is a huge, um, she is a huge costume drama fan. So she reads and watches all sorts of stuff around anything to do with costume dramas. I'm not so much, um, although I did like Lark Rise to Candleford. That was a great series. Um, but yeah, she's a huge costume drama fan. And often in those um, books and in those series that you might watch on TV, you see maids and you see cooks and you see gardeners and butlers and maybe when you think of the word servant that Paul is talking about here particularly in the NIV version uh, then you might have that imagery you might think of Manuel from 40 Towers he was a servant of sorts you might think of a waiter or a waitress um, who is serving you at a table you might think I guess more um, recently uh, of teachers public servants and nurses and doctors as well often when you think of the word servant your mind will probably go towards a service, what the servant does, a task um, or a job. If you think about it, for those of you that have ever served in a church, it's usually in a particular ministry um, for a particular time frame with a particular responsibility, communion team, worship team, whatever it might be. Thank you, by the way, to so many amazing volunteers that serve 
It, we couldn't do it without you, thank you. But often I think we can lose the significance of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ, as Paul says in that first verse. Uh, as, we begin to, as it begins to become more about, I guess, the service, the role, the job that comes as being a servant of Jesus Christ. It can kind of become a little bit more about those things, the tasks that we perform, if you like, for want of a better work. You know, I serve here, I do that, you know, I, I help there, that kind of thing. All admirable ways, admirable ways of thinking, definitely. But it begins to become more about, like I said, the task and sometimes then becomes a little bit more about us, you know, why don't other people serve? Why am I the only one who's doing this? No one else does this, so I can do it better than you, or they're not very good in that particular thing. And slowly we kind of diminish and water down and filter out what it means to be, I think, a, a real servant of Jesus Christ, of acknowledging what that means at our very core. And that is kind of what I want to challenge us on today. You know, Paul really understood the significance of what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ at his very core. That's why he opened with this, you know, to a church he'd never been to, to people he'd never really met before. He opened with this, this word servant. And as Keith alluded to last week, um, that word in the Greek is a word called doulos. You may have heard of that. I'm sure some of you have, but if you haven't, it basically means a slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, Romans 1.1. He's a slave of Christ Jesus. Jesus. Now there's a significant difference between the word servant and the word slave. You know, we've already talked about a servant a little bit, but ultimately a servant, a servant is, can be task orientated. It can be uh, a little bit about themselves. Maybe you could even nowadays, you can be a servant or a hired hand and you, you work a day job and you work a night job, right? And then you go home. Whereas a slave, you know, you have one boss and you don't really go home. You're, you're a slave. So the shift in understanding, just this one simple thing, doulos, slave, what it means to be a slave of Christ Jesus, as Paul understood it, could, does have huge implications of what our relationship with Jesus looks like, but also, more importantly, God's bigger vision, God's bigger narrative. If you're thinking, what does that mean, Jim? Keith alluded to this a lot last week as well. The bigger narrative, it's found in 2 Corinthians, if you like, is that we are reconciled to God, uh, through Christ Jesus, as so Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. If those of us that choose to accept that, to follow him in faith, by faith, you know, we, we're back in relationship with God. We're saved from something, but ultimately we are saved to something, you know, that we are reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Uh, and we've now been given the ministry of reconciliation ourselves. So it's to go on for God's purposes for his kingdom. That's what it means. That's the bigger narrative we are talking about. You're saved from something to something. That's the bigger picture. And that's why I think it's really important for us to understand this word slave, because understanding that as part of our identity helps us to understand kind of the bigger picture, to really adopt that for ourselves. So when you think of the word slave, again, what does it conjure up for you? What does it, what pictures come up in your mind? You might, I guess, be reminded of people trafficking. You might be uh, reminded of William Wilberforce and his campaign against the slave trade. You might be reminded of uh, forced labor. Often it's, it's a very negative connotation, isn't it? Slavery. Um, and yet it's a word that is, maybe it's not very common in, in the NIV version of the Bible, but it's a word that is really significant in understanding our identity. It's actually used that word 150 times in the New Testament. 
but it's only translated a few times into the English versions, um, like three times, maybe four times, I don't know exactly. Uh, slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. It's not this kind of personal element to it, it's a, but it's a really significant word, isn't it? Probably it wasn't translated because of, well, the stigma around slavery. Um, the stigma, the humiliation around what it meant to be a slave, the, I guess the, the belittling of it, of someone who is a slave. And so they, 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 uh, the, the translators kind of put other words in, servant, as you see in the NIV version, bond, servant, other words. But it is this word slave. And today's society, it's pretty uncool. It's not very sexy, is it, to call yourself um, uh, a slave, I guess, in that respect. Because today's society, particularly, is kind of whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you happy. You know, follow your own dreams. Um, you're a unique person, which is obviously true. Um, but things need to be on your terms. Whereas if you say, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, it's about putting all that freedom that today's society particularly kind of chases after into question. You no longer have that freedom, I suppose. You no longer are that person. You, you have no rights. You're a complete authority. You're under complete authority. Now, the, the slave terminology back then was, was common, like I said. They estimate that there's around about 12 million, uh, uh, 12 million slaves in the Mediterranean world. That's about one in five people. Uh, so Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Roman church, the church in Rome, um, they would have really understood the slave relationship, the, slave, the understanding of perhaps sometimes a slave would have a good um, a good master, and sometimes a slave would have a bad. In fact, it was quite common, well, not quite common, but it was reasonably common for people back then to sell their children into slavery, not as we understand it, because that meant that they would go and live in a home that had a lot of wealth in it, a lot of food in it, was quite prosperous, and they were in a better place. Um, but obviously there was the other side of that as well. There was a lot of horrendous, um, uh, a lot of abuse as well towards slaves. Now, the reason I say all this is, like I said, if, if you're a slave to Christ, then it's recognizing that, that you have a Lord, right? We, we declare that one of the creed, one of our main beliefs is Jesus is Lord. Um, but do we understand that, you know, that that is really significant also for how we then should live out our life? If he's Lord, kurios, that's our master. That's also a master. You know, we're quite quick at understanding and living kind of under the banner of Jesus as Savior, that we've been forgiven, that you know we are we are we are we are loved by Him. His grace, you know, overpowers us. All that sort of stuff, which is true. Don't get me wrong, but we're not quite so quick at adopting, understanding, and allowing it to impact us when we say Jesus is our Master, is our Lord. I'm, you know, I'm the first one to hold my hands up and say that many times in my walk with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus, I've. It's been the other way around to some extent, you know. Keith gave this kind of really, it stuck with me, but this kind of visual kind of thing where Jesus is just kind of kicking stones along a beach, kind of bored almost, and he sees his disciple, and it's like, oh, Jesus puts down his kingdom and sort of goes, oh, can I join with what yours looks, it looks, you know, can I join with what you're doing? And I think I've treated, and maybe you, this is the same for you, I've treated Jesus like that before, you know, where I want him to bless my plans, my purposes, what I want. Uh, to, to, to step in when I need him, and then he can go back to the shore, back to the beach again. Um, but Jesus, you know, he calls us to follow him. You know, that's, that's 
the bigger narrative is that we follow him for his plans, for his, for his kingdom. Uh, I was thinking about this in a more visual way. Uh, when, if you're in a position where you, you've bought a house in the past or you can buy a house, then often what you would do is you'd put a deposit down on that house and that meant that that house was owned by you and then you'd spend the rest of your life paying off the mortgage. Um, but actually, you know, when you decided to follow Jesus Christ, you called him your Lord and Saviour, your master, you know, your master, Jesus, he put a deposit down on the house, you know, the temple, your body. He gave you the spirit, you know, he, the house, you, has got the Holy Spirit in it. That's the deposit, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. You are no longer your own, as it says in 1 Corinthians. You are not your own. He put the deposit down on you and he is both the owner and the developer, which is the exciting bit, right? It's all exciting. You are not your own. It's easy perhaps to understand. It might challenge you already. I don't know. Um, but it's not always so easy to put into practice. It really, really isn't, as we kind of alluded to. Um, the disciples themselves struggled with this in Mark 10, you know, when they were arguing amongst themselves, who's the best? You know, who sits to the right, who sits to the left? And Jesus basically just says this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Servant, doulos, slave. If you want to become great, you must become a slave to those around you. Um, Sorry to quote him again, but Keith uses this phrase, a slave to the bottom. It's a, it's a chase for humility. It's to say that others are better than yourself. You know, that's one surefire way of knowing that, like Jesus, you are a slave to those around you as well. C.S. Lewis uh, puts it like this. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, right? So humility isn't like oh, whipping yourself on the back and be like, oh, I'm not very good. I'm a horrible person. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Paul really pushes this even further into uh, 2 Philippians 5. He brings it all together by saying this, you know, in, in, in specific to the relationships of those people around you, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And don't forget our motto text this year is to pursue, is to pursue, to press on towards the goal to become more like Christ, Christ's likeness, Christ's oneness. You know, so we're, we're to pursue the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which is that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Greek, doulos, a slave. He was a slave to his heavenly father. He only did what he saw his heavenly father do. He was anointed by the spirit in Luke 4 to be obedient to his heavenly father's plan, the bigger kingdom vision, the strategy, reconciliation. A spirit-filled slave and follower of Jesus Christ will only do what his master does and says. We will only do, if we're a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus Christ, we'll only do what Jesus, our master, says and does. Paul recognised this, right? He recognised that he was paid for by Jesus Christ. Yeah, he was paid for by Jesus Christ, so he was no longer his own. He was Jesus's, and therefore that impacted how he lived. You see it at the end of the verse one, he had, a, he had a mission and a message. He was an apostle and he was, he was going around giving the gospel. You know, what mission and message do you talk about? Simpler. What, what energy do you put into the things you, you do? What's your focus? What fills up your thinking? What fills up your language? What, you know, and perhaps it's best to say that, you know, in your quiet moments, what are those thoughts that go around your head? 
your day actions, your day-to-day -day actions, what are the things that you focus on the most? Is it just what you want to do? Where is your energy? Where is that focused? Because I think that will give you a clue as to what your mission and your message is. Is it that like Paul's? Is it that you're a slave to Christ? And this is costly, right? Calling Jesus our master, being a slave to Jesus Christ is costly because, it, like I said, it's not about us. It's about the people around us, just as Jesus served those people around him. As he was a slave to the people around him, it's no longer about us. It's no longer about our past, about our history. It's no longer about our will, our purpose. It's about becoming an ambassador for Jesus Christ, an ambassador for his kingdom, to see what the Spirit is doing and to step into that. To be a slave to Jesus Christ means to, be a, to, to work in his business, right? To work for his business, reconciliation business. It's costly for us because it means putting him first above ourselves. It's very countercultural. We are not set free just for our own purposes. We are set free for his. You know, the sin, sin that tethered us, you know, before that same tether that Jesus broke, the chain that Jesus broke when he forgave you, he died on the cross and he rose again, that same thing that tethered you to sin now tethers us to him, right? Whether you think that's cheesy or not, it's true. It tethers us to him. We are a slave to Jesus Christ. And what that does is that tether, it brings proximity and it brings intimacy. Jesus talks to his disciples in John 15, 15, and he actually, he actually goes beyond being, you know, being what it means to be a slave to Jesus Christ into a whole other realm. And he says, Do you know what? You know, I no longer call you my servants because my servants don't know, you know, servants don't know their master's business. I call you my friends. And actually, it's about getting to that point where, you're, where Jesus is your, your master. You're a slave to Christ. You're a slave to Jesus. That actually goes beyond that. You recognize your need. You want to know what the master's business, his purposes are each day for you. The, the good works that he's got in store for not just for you, for the, his kingdom, for his purposes. There's nothing more exciting than that. There's nothing more exciting than that. That's where you find your purpose in his plan. And that's really, I guess, where I want to lead the challenge today. I recognize that for many of us, we might get it, we might understand this, we might have heard this message before, but it's not always easy to, to be fully committed to Jesus Christ only, right? We might have other masters in our life, you know, you might be a slave to two masters. You can't do that. It says that in the word. You can't be a slave to two masters. You might be a slave to the way you think about yourself. You might be a slave to the way you think about other people, the way you talk about other people, the way that you are pursuing comfort, security, the illusion of control. I don't know. You might be a slave to those things, but you cannot be a slave to God's kingdom, you know, to God, to Jesus Christ, if you're a slave to anything else. It just doesn't work. You cannot be an unashamed Slave to Jesus Christ, if that's the case. But only you know that, and God knows that. We'll pray about that in a minute. We'll pray about that in a minute. What does it mean to be an unashamed disciple of Jesus Christ for you? Right now, when you press stop on this, to the people around you, to become slaves to them as Jesus became a slave to his, to his heavenly Father. Um, to, to become a slave to Jesus' purposes in your relationships, in your job roles, uh, in his kingdom, in the ministry of reconciliation. What does that look like? 
recognizing you're on a business trip <laughs> for Jesus all the time. You know, he's put the deposit down. He put the, the spirit in you to guide you, to give you the words to say, to equip you.